Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Liz Earle Wellbeing Show. I'm Liz Earle and in this new and improved version of our now hugely popular podcast, I am going to be speaking with leading experts and familiar faces from the world of wellbeing to bring you truly wellness wisdom you can trust from fitness to gut health, mood to menopause. I hope you'll join me here to quickly learn how to spot a gem of wellness wisdom from a passing fad. Now, I've just had the pleasure of chatting with Dr. Rongan Chatterjee. You will know him. He's a practicing GP and resident BBC breakfast doctor. Rongan wants to inspire all of us to transform our health and happiness through making small but sustainable changes to our daily habits. And he's doing great work at the Royal College of GPs, so encouraging our healthcare professionals to really tackle the root causes of ill health rather than simply relying on prescription pills. We have chatted about so much of the good yet simple stuff from gut health to the power of exercise snacking and the reason that relaxation is just so essential to mental health and well-being. And in exciting news, if you would like to watch Rongan and me chatting, you can also find this interview now on the Lizelle Wellbeing YouTube channel. So without further ado, let us get into this week's brand new, totally unmissable episode. Welcome. It is a thrill to have you here. It's a thrill for me too in this <laughs> lovely house where you're, you're sort yeah. of inviting me in. Thank I you. I know. Thank you. Well, you're a very illustrious guest because I have tracked your career for a while. I know we met backstage on the Lorraine show, yeah, I think, exactly. first of all, with your first book. Would that have been the four pillars? Yeah, I think it was. I mean, it could have been the first or the second. I can't yeah. quite remember. But yeah, yeah, definitely remember meeting you yeah. in person on the rain yeah. for sure. Well, it's really great. And you're obviously going from strength to strength. But can we rewind a bit? And can you talk about where your passion for health first came from? Did you always have this vision that you were going to be this groundbreaking doctor? Uh, absolutely not, <laughs> is, is, the, is the short answer to that. You know, it's funny. I grew up in a medical family, so my dad was a doctor. Right. Lots of his family were doctors. So, you know, as a parent myself now, I, I, I really realised that what you're exposed to as a child is a lot of the time what you think is possible. Mm -hmm. So I would see my dad being a doctor. 
all my mum and dad's friends were doctors, right. right? So that's all I sort of knew growing up, really. Yeah. And so in some ways, it was almost inevitable that I was going to follow that path, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Now, I think I've always had this side to me that I really like caring for people. And I don't know where I got that from. I think I learned a lot of that from my mum, because mum's always been really good at caring for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I think, where the seed got sowed yeah. for going into medicine. So you went to med school. Went to medical school in and, Edinburgh. And, and decided to be a GP. Did you from, no, from no. there or did you go into a speciality? No, no, yeah. So went to medical school, uh, did an immunology degree there and did a medical degree. And then I thought I was going to work in hospital medicine. So I started off doing specialist training. I did all my exams for that. I was um, doing kidney medicine is what I had chosen I was going mm. to do as a speciality. And, you know, something just didn't sit right for me. And, and it was really this idea that, I feel, and I have felt for a while, that in medicine, we've become quite reductionist. And mm. we look at, let's say, different organs as separate. And, you know, this is a respiratory problem. This is a cardiac problem. This is a neurological problem. And I, I was dealing with kidneys, and I thought, well, I don't want to spend the whole, the rest of my career just seeing kidney problems. I want to see everything. So I took the step to go away from that and become a GP. So I then trained and did my exams to become a GP. Now, that was much to the surprise of my dad, who couldn't believe that I'd gone through and got all my specialist exams yeah. and then moved over to being a general practitioner. But I did that and I love it because mm. you get to see everything. You get to build up relationships with people and you get to, for me, you get to join the dots together, see different symptoms and how they yeah. all kind of interplay off one another. And that's been really, really interesting for me. So, no, I had no plans at the start to be a GP, but that was just, as I evolved as a person, as I evolved as a doctor, that was a natural progression for me. Yeah. And you are sort of one of the pioneers in this country of this sort of lifestyle medicine for GPs. And I'm hearing things like doctors in Scotland prescribing woodland walks and fresh air and exercise. And are we seeing more of that with GPs? I think... The, the medical profession, I think, has been quite slow to change on this. And I, I understand where that has come from. I, mean, I think we need to understand that, you know, 30, 40 years ago, the bulk of what you saw when you went to see a doctor, well, the bulk of what any doctor saw was what I call an acute problem, like something like a, a pneumonia, a chest infection, a problem that fits nicely into the model of, I have a problem, tell the doctor what it is, they diagnose something, give me a pill, mm. and the problem goes away. Right. So you have a pneumonia, you come in, you've got a bad cough, you've got a fever, doctor diagnoses it, gives you an antibiotic. A week later, that has gone away. Your problem has gone. Mm. Right. Our whole model of training has been uh, built up in that system. Now, the problem today is, right, the health landscape of the UK has changed dramatically. So 80 percent now of what I see as a doctor is in some way related to our collective modern lifestyles. I'm not putting blame on people. Modern life is tough. We're stressed out. We're overworked. But our training has not adapted accordingly. Mm. And that's why I think there's so much frustration with many patients, but also many doctors as well. That's why I created my course with the Royal College of GPs to teach doctors Mm. how can you actually prescribe lifestyle medicine in your consultations? Because, you know, a lot of a lot of people think it's very, very simplistic. You know, lifestyle. Yeah. Obesity and type 2 diabetes. no lifestyle impacts mental health problems yeah. it impacts even hormonal problems yeah, right sure. it impacts insomnia concentration inability to sleep all these kind of things 
are impacted by our lifestyle choices. Which is then impacting on your immune system, which is then leading to potentially more health issues. So is it about nipping things in the bud then more, being a bit more proactive rather than waiting for a, an ailment to manifest itself? Ideally, yes. Right. And I think there's a, there's a bit of a subtlety here, which I'm always keen to try and talk about, which is when we talk about lifestyle, we're often talking about it as prevention. Mm. Right. Prevention is better than cure. I agree. Right. Uh, making small changes to, to, you know, various aspects of our lifestyle can have a profound impact on the way we feel now but the way we're going to feel in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, right? So I'm a big fan of using lifestyle as prevention. But I will add, what is not so commonly known is that you can often use lifestyle as treatment, right? So many problems can be treated by making small changes to your lifestyle. And I don't think that recognition is out there enough. It's something I'm really trying to change. Yeah. That it's not just, oh, you know, I, I missed the prevention boats. I've actually got the problem now. So it would have been good to prevent it, but I, I didn't. Now I need the treatment. No, lifestyle can be treatment. Now, I'm not anti-drugs. Mm, sure. Right? I'm anti the over-prescription of yeah. drugs. I'm anti when we use pharmaceutical solutions for lifestyle-driven problems without giving patients the choice. Yeah. That's what I'm against. So what kind of things do you have on your course then for GPs? What are you what are you teaching them that they can pass on to patients? Yeah, so very simplistically, we've created a new model on how you create a personalized lifestyle prescription within a 10-minute GP consultation. Wow, right? <laughs> that's ambitious. It is ambitious <laughs> and it is challenging, but that was the goal me and my colleagues set to, out to ourselves. So I thought, look, we can complain about the system all we want, but the reality is that is the current system. And therefore, instead of necessarily waiting for the system to change, how can I help to give practicing clinicians, practicing GPs tools that they can start using with their patients today? Mm. Feedback's been amazing, Liz. 95% of people who've attended said it has significantly changed the way they practice. Wow. They would highly recommend it to their colleagues. We have GPs, but we have cardiologists, psychiatrists, mm. endocrinologists, nurses, pharmacists, because this is a universal problem in healthcare yeah. that people aren't being taught this. So the, the basic premise of the course is revolves around my first book, The Four Pillar Plan, these yeah. four core pillars of health that I'm very passionate about. And I give them equal priority. So food and movement are two of them. We've been talking about these for years, yeah. but I give equal importance to sleep and relaxation. And so what we do in the course is that we train GPs all the science, all the latest science in these four areas and how you can then personalize it for the individual in front of you for different conditions. Mm. So, for example, there's there's a lot of research on diet and mood now and depression. Sure. Right. Now, I, I was speaking uh, at a Royal College of GP event in Bristol a couple of years ago. Uh, there's about 100, 150 doctors there. And I said, hey, guys, how many of you talk about nutrition when a patient comes in with a mental health problem? And about 5% of the room put their hand up. And then I, for 20 or 30 minutes, presented some studies. I said, how many of you are going to do it now? They all put their hand up. So what kind of things? Are you looking at things like gut health? Are you looking at changing the microbiome, having more fermented foods? Absolutely. yogurt and kefir and that kind of thing? The, the mainstay of the food section on that course is about gut health. Because I think that's... <laughs> so we're teaching them about yeah. gut health. We're teaching them about the immune system. We're teaching them how, how your food choices interact with your gut bugs. Mm. And that then interacts with your immune system. Yeah. And to really simplify it for people, a lot of people have heard that what drives a lot of these modern ailments that we're suffering from is something called chronic inflammation, right? And I think it's really interesting for people this. 
Inflammation is not necessarily bad. If you fall over and sprain your ankle, you want it to get red, hot, and swollen. That is inflammation working for you. Mm -hmm. The sort of chronic inflammation we're talking about that drives type 2 diabetes, a lot of joint pain, mood problems, and so many other conditions is when the inflammation is not working for you. It's when day in, day out, your body feels it's under attack, so it responds by releasing inflammation into the body. Right. This is what's called chronic inflammation. And do you know what causes it? A lot of it is our lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And it comes from your gut because your gut health directly impacts your immune system health. And the inflammation comes from your immune system. And so there is complex science here, which you don't necessarily need to dive yeah. into. But to really bring it back home for people, making small changes to your diet, mm -hmm. to your movement patterns, to your sleep yeah. and to your stress levels has a huge impact on your immune system functioning and can absolutely bring down levels of inflammation mm. in your body. Talking about inflammation and diet, what about the role of sugar? Because that's been linked to being inflammatory. Is that something that you would recognize and, and advise cutting down on sugars? Yeah, look, I think pretty much all of us these days would benefit from cutting down on how much sugar we're having. Now, I don't think we can necessarily say all sugar you know, we should never have any sugar again. I think that's unrealistic. First of all, mm. we're hardwired as humans to crave sugar, okay? So it's a natural thing to crave sugar. You know, think back to a million years ago, you know, we'd get that sort of sweet taste in the summer when there was sort of a lot of ripe fruits around and we would eat it to, um, to gain fat so we could store energy for the winter, right? So there's a evolutionary mechanism why that is there in the body the problem now is sugar is everywhere yeah right it's in, it's in if you don't cook from scratch if you buy food out or processed food which most of us do uh, in differing amounts you're probably having sugar in your diet you're probably having excess sugar yeah. whether it's cereals whether it's you know so-called healthy ready meals a lot of them are loaded with sugar so i think cutting down on sugar really really helps people for sure and, and a lot of people will listen and go yeah but you know i've got a sweet tooth Mm. Right, And I would challenge that a little bit because we're hardwired to have sweet tooths. Yeah, some of us do more than others for sure, but you can train your, you can retrain your taste buds. Yeah, I remember I used to drink tea with, I don't think I started till I was like in my late teens or early 20s. I just didn't drink tea or coffee growing up. And I would drink tea with a couple of spoons of sugar in, right? And then for some reason I decided to cut cut it out. And it was quite hard for the first week or two because I felt, you know, it really tasted awful. But then th about three weeks later, I was at work and I picked up the wrong cup of tea and it was a cup of tea with sugar in it. I, I had to spit it out. Yeah, too sweet. Too sweet. But within two or three yeah. weeks, your taste buds can change. Yeah. I found that focusing on my gut health actually trained my sweet tooth. Wow. And that having more fermented foods, drinking kefir, eating yogurt, that kind of thing. I just lost my sweet tooth. And I also did an experiment. I'm not sure what you're going to think of this. Um, I went keto for a month. Wow. So I had put myself into ketosis. So I was just eating fat and a bit of green veg and white veg, but no carbohydrates, wow. really. No, and certainly no sugars. And I found the first few days, I definitely was craving sugars, but it was more my brain, actually. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, yeah. really, well, once I just told my brain that it wasn't going to have any sugar, so it might as well get over it because I wasn't going to have any, then it kind of stopped looking for it. And I found that when I came out of keto, I had really lost my sweet tooth. And I, I always would reach for a biscuit or a piece of cake in the afternoon, but now I, I just don't. Yeah, I mean, that's a prime example of how 
you retrains your cravings, your taste yeah, you buds. Can do what it. You, it absolutely can yeah. be done. How did you find that interesting? You know? Well, you know, I had my blood fats check before and after because it was I was purely eating high fatty meat. I was eating all the fat on the meat. I was adding yeah. extra egg yolks to my omelets. I was having high fat cheese. I was only eating the highest fat nuts like macadamia and walnuts. Wow. Um, and I was putting double cream in my coffee, not even having milk because of the carbohydrate and the feel? lactose. I felt amazing. I lost six pounds. Um, my overall cholesterol dropped by one point. My HDL and LDL balance uh, improved. Wow. My GP said he'd actually never seen such a good LDL score ever. Wow. wow. And this was after eating a month of fat. So I'm I've been I've been following lots of um uh, cardiologists and diabetes medics globally. There's quite a big active group in Australia and South Africa and yeah. America who are really promoting the high fat, low carb. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm familiar with um, it. And particularly with diabetes. So yeah. do you think that will come here? Is this something that GPs are looking at? Hundred percent. It's 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 already happening here. I mean, I um, in in 2015 when my first BBC One series Doctor in the House came out, yeah. I helped a lady reverse her type two diabetes in 30 days using that approach. Did you? Yeah, that went out to five million people in the UK. So did you just take her off sugars then and carbs? I, I did a, a few commentaries. I I always think you've got to personalise any recommendations mm. to that person and what they want to do. And the thing for her that she wanted to do back then was she liked that idea. And yes, we cut out all refined and processed carbs. There was loads of rich, colourful vegetables in her diet, sure. but we'd cut out a lot of those carbs. Um, in the short term, which really helps. And it's really interesting. I mean, this is, you could talk for a whole two hours on this yes. because I think there's pros and cons. Yeah. And I think it can be a very good tool for the right person. Mm. Um, I don't think any of these tools are universal. And I think one of the big problems out there I see with these, uh, what I call dietary wars, mm. are the fact that people have brilliant experiences and I, and I recognize everyone's experience. And then they want to sing from the rooftops about it because they feel so great and they feel, oh man, I did this for so long and I struggled. Now I went this way and I felt amazing. Yeah. But it doesn't always work for everyone. And I'm very open-minded because I have some patients who uh, follow a what I would call a healthy low-carb diet yes. and they're doing great. Mm. But I've got some patients who follow a healthy vegan diet and they're also doing great. And conversely, I've got people who are following those and are not doing so well. So for me, there are some broad principles for all healthy diets around the world, yeah. um, you can look, there's some, there some broad principles which tend to apply in most cases. So most food is minimally processed, so it's whole yes. foods. Sure. Um, people are sitting down to have their meals in company. This mm. is a big part that we miss when we talk about nutrition. How are you eating? That's yeah. very important. You know, I, I tell you, Liz, I've realized in the last two years, I've realized with patients that sometimes they thought they were reacting to a food but what they were actually reacting to was the fact that they were eating in a stressed out state. Mm. So with some of my patients, when they did some breathing exercises that I taught them just before they ate, actually they no longer reacted to those foods. Now, I've been pondering that. Really interesting. And, and sort of just to sort of zoom out a little bit, let's think about the body's stress response for a minute. Stress response, um, well, stress is a big problem. World Health Organization calls stress the health epidemic of the 21st century. Now, what is the stress response there for? It's there to keep us safe, right? Two million years ago, you're in your little community and your tribe and a wild predator is attacking, <laughs> right? In an instant, your stress response kicks into gear. 
right? And various things happen in your body. Your blood sugar starts to rise, your blood pressure goes up. All these things are there to try and keep you safe. As well as those things that it prioritizes, what does it switch off? Two things it switches off. Libido and your gut function. Mm, my goodness. Right? So libido, why? If you're running away from a tiger, yeah. you have no need to be able to chill out and procreate with your partner. No. Okay, so your body switches that off. And low libido levels are on the rise in a younger and younger age group. Due and stre to stress. Stress is the biggest yeah. driver, 100% for mm. me. Um, but the other thing your body switches off when you're chronically stressed is your gut function. Again, if you're running away from a tiger, you don't need to be able to efficiently process and digest your food. So fast forward to the modern 21st century where we're always busy, we're rushing around, mm -hmm. we're eating our healthy lunch whilst also answering our emails, yeah, yeah. right? And I'm not criticizing, I do this as yeah, well, right? Me. <laughs> but for some people, they're very, um, they're very susceptible to that. So actually what they're doing, they're in, there are two states in the body. There's either the stress state, to keep it super simple, or the relaxation state, right? You wanna be eating food in the relaxation state, also called the rest and digest mode, right? Because that's when you digest food efficiently. So for some people, the best thing they can do is focus on shutting their laptop, yeah. right? Doing one minute of breathing and mm -hmm. then eating their meal that's so simple it's so, so easy you know if you're not if you're not stressed and you could just take that moment to get yourself into a chilled state for eating i know the french are very good at this i was in a, a french um just a normal factory not that long ago and everybody had a lunch break and it was a big communal canteen where everybody was eating you know all layers of management and everybody and they just took 40 minutes out to sit and chat and eat a home cooked lunch you know cooked on the site and then went back to work. They wouldn't dream of eating. Yeah, and, they, and, and I think we need to go back to that because yeah. there's something called the French paradox, which is why can the French eat a so-called uh, unhealthy diet yet not have the same negative health outcomes that you might see in other countries? And there's a lot of theories about it. But my theory, the one I've been thinking a lot about the last couple of years, is to do with exactly that. It's to do with this idea that food is not just about what you eat. It's also about how you eat mm. and when you eat, right? There's two components we're not thinking about. Well, like everything, we become reductionist. What are we eating, right? Yeah. But the way you eat matters. So I would argue that the French are actually eating whatever food they want in a relaxed fashion. So their body is processing it more efficiently because they're not stressed. Isn't that a joyful thing that we might be able to eat more of what we it's want? It's a joyful thing. And it, what's really interesting, two months ago, I was interviewed by a French journalist because my, my first book has just come out in France in, with a French translation. And I asked her the question. I said, look, can I just ask you a question? To me, uh, whenever I've been in France, there's this real, um, like, dedication and priority given to, given to meal times. Mm. You don't eat while doing something else. Meal time is meal time. You know, lunch time is you put your pens down, you put your things down, and you sit there and you chill out and you relax and have your meal in company. And I said, is that still going on in France, even today? Or has, you know, the modern pace of the 21st century caught up? She goes, it's interesting. For most of France, it's still the same. In some of the big cities like Paris, at the international firms where you have people from all over the world working, it's starting to change. Mm. And I find that so fascinating that these, these, these little cultural norms that have kept us healthy for millennia yeah. and now start to be eroded away, you know, by, for all manner of reasons. And again, it's not about criticizing, it's about observing and saying, hey, look, 
maybe there's something we can learn from here. Mm -hmm. But as I'll tell you this, one coming back to Doctor in the House, I went around the country and lived alongside families for four to six weeks who had health problems. And what was really interesting for me is that in many of those families, nobody ate together. Right. So the first family I, I stayed with, I remember super clearly that their evening meal, the dad would eat it standing up in the kitchen. The mum would eat it on the edge of the sofa while watching telly. The teenage daughter would be on the other edge of the sofa on Facebook eating hers. And the son would sit on the dining table and eat it by himself. Right. And I saw this in multiple families. So, again, yeah. 20 years ago. The dining table was every house had a dining table. Now we're yeah. we're we're knocking down our living rooms and for more open plans. And actually, many houses don't have dining tables anymore. Yeah. And I really I know this sounds like a small thing, but you know you eat more mindfully when you eat at a table. You actually eat less. You know it helps your relationships. That was probably one of the most transformative I think things I did with those families really? was to encourage them to eat together. And they all would report back at my next visit. They said, Dr. Chachi, we started doing that. And one couple said to me, you know what? We actually feel a lot closer now. There was more yeah. intimacy in their relationship. Well, and you focus on each other. You focus on the conversation as exactly. well. Exactly. Whereas now it's never been easier to be distracted and yeah. actually just crack on. And, you know, do you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah, really, really interesting for me. Yeah. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Interestingly, you talk there about not only about what we eat, but when we eat it. What do you think of things like intermittent fasting? I think when I think focusing on when we eat, I think is very important. Mm. And the research I would point people towards is from uh, Professor Sachin Panda, who's at the Salk Institute in California. He's done most of the groundbreaking research in this area. It's something called time restricted eating. Yeah. So you don't change what you eat you change when you eat. And he has shown initially in 
animal studies, to be fair, but he is starting to replicate it now in human studies, that if you restrict your eating window, and you know whether it's 10 hours or 12 hours, right? So if you eat all of your food in a 12 hour eating window, it can help you lose weight. It can help with your blood sugar control. Yeah. It can help with your immune system function. It can help your athletic performance. It can help your sleep, right? So why is that? It's because we've got these natural circadian rhythms that, that operate in every organ system in our body. So your gut is designed to work at a certain time, right? It's not designed for us to wake up at 6 a.m., have a snack there and still be munching in front of Netflix at 11 o'clock at night, <laughs> right? And I've been recommending on the back of this research for a good four years now to all of my patients, pretty much, that they try and eat all of their food within a 12-hour eating window because that's very achievable. It that would is. be, yeah. let's say you have nine, breakfast nine, at 7 a.m. Nine till nine or nine eight, till eight, eight or And whatever. it has a bit of flexibility. Yeah. So yeah. I say to people, yeah, sure, you might do seven till seven. And then let's say one night you want to go out with your friends and you eat late and you're still in a restaurant at half nine. Okay, then don't have your morning meal till 9.30 the next day. Because yeah, you, you don't need it. You don't need it. You're not going to be starving, are you? Now, some people will be listening and going, yeah, but can you go shorter on that eating window? Yes, you can. You can go down to 10 hours or eight hours. But Can my, you go longer? You can go longer. Mm. But my approach is about sustainability, mm. right? And I would much rather people look at these four pillars of health, food, movement, sleep, and relaxation, and don't look for perfection in any one area, but make sure you're paying attention to each area. So the natural thing is, okay, 12 hours of these, uh, a time restricted window is working really well for me. Um, I'm gonna make it 10, I'm gonna make it eight. And then neglecting the fact that they're stressed out the whole time yeah. and that they're only getting five hours of sleep a night. So I say, if you're doing 12 hours a day and you're feeling better, give yourself a tick, move on to another one of the pillars. Right. <laughs> so this is what I call a rounded approach to health that I yeah. have found to be much more sustainable for people in the long term. What do your patients think when they come to you? Because you still work as a GP. Yeah. Uh, and they might come in thinking, oh, well, the doctor's going to give me a pill. And actually, you give them a prescription for changing how they eat, eating with their families, having a time-restricted diet, getting a bit more exercise. Are, are they receptive to that? Or do they think, well, hold on a minute. You know, I came in for some proper medicine. This question comes up a lot. And I've got to say my patients are very receptive. Now, I'll tell you why I think that is. I think the most important skill as a healthcare professional, but arguably any human being, is your ability to communicate with the person in front of you. So if, for example, somebody comes in with type 2 diabetes to see me, right, and I spend nine minutes of the 10 minutes talking about the problems associated with that, and as they're walking out, say, hey, look, if you can actually lose some weight, and get some exercise, that would really help as well. Mm. That's going to have a certain impact. If they come in, and I spend the first nine of the 10 minutes talking to them in a very um, compassionate way and say, hey, look, did you know that this condition probably took five or 10 years to develop in your body? Would you like me to help you understand what things you might be able to change in your lifestyle that may help you with this condition? People are like, yeah, I'd love you to help me right? So it's the way we tell people. Now, of course, some people come in, they want a medication and that's it. Fine. They've been conditioned to expect that. That's what they think they want. Fine. But I think the way you communicate with someone actually can determine a huge part of that outcome. But you know that in your own life with relationships or yeah. with it. So I don't buy this whole thing that um, a lot of doctors say, you know, patients know it, so they're just simply not doing it. You know what? I don't necessarily buy that. I think the system doesn't allow us to have those conversations that we want to have with the patients. But most people, if you ask them, 
would you prefer a drug or would you prefer me to help you make some small changes to your lifestyle? In my experience, many people say, yeah, I'd love some help in changing that. What shall I do? Now, can I just further that a little bit? Because one of the big problems, again, is we tell people what to do, but we don't really tell them how to do it, right? And that's the subject of my new book, Feel Better in Five, right? It's knowledge, I don't think necessarily is the biggest problem out there. There's a lot of good knowledge out there but we don't have a system of putting it into practice. Now, understanding human behavior, understanding how to create new habits is critical for all of us. Now, just to go outside the health space for a minute, everyone listening to this podcast right now, I'm gonna say to them that their behavior is constantly being influenced by the world around them. Now, many listeners will, will shop on Amazon, right? So let's think about Amazon for a minute. When Amazon moved to one-click ordering about three or four years ago, it's estimated that their profits went up by $300 million a year. Wow. Right, so what's going on there? Well, what you used to have to do is you had to pick the things you wanted to buy, then go to another screen, confirm it, then go to another screen, type in your details, and then a final screen to say confirm order. Now before you've blinked, yeah. something's been delivered the next day, right? Yeah. Why? They understand human behavior. If you make something easy to do, people do it. Right. Netflix do the same thing. Right, The reason they roll one episode into the next one mm. is because before you've had time to think and realize, it's oh, giving I'm it tired, you. you're yeah. already stuck into the next one. Yeah. Right, Those guys are doing what they need to do. I'm not criticizing them. They're doing what they need to do as a business. I'm saying we can use the same rules that they use to help us with our own health. Yeah. So, for example, in Feel Better and Vive, it's, I've sort of held into three categories, mind, body, and heart. But body is about movement. Right. right, Lots of five-minute movements that people can do each day, whether it's five minutes of strength training, five minutes of yoga, five minutes of intervals, little things that people can do. Yeah. But all of the workouts require you to not buy any equipment. You don't need to join a gym. You don't even need to get changed. It's so great. Right? I have to say, and that's this the kind pa- of exercise snacking. Yeah, but the power <laughs> of them is... As soon as you bring in an obstacle to it, as soon as you you think, oh, I need to join a gym to do it, mm. it's a reason to say no. Because one of the biggest problems people make uh, when they're trying to make new lifestyle change is they set their goals too high. Yeah. And what they don't understand is there's something called the motivation wave in behavioral science. Motivation never stays the same. It goes up and it goes down. People plan their changes for when their motivation is high. But that's the mistake. You've got to plan your, your changes so when your motivation is rock bottom. <laughs> right. And that's why you have to make it easy if you want to make it stick. So for anyone out there who's trying to make a change in their life, make it as simple as you can, yeah. right? But the second tip I'll give people, I mean, there are six tips in the book on how you create new behaviors, but I think the second tip is really interesting as well. 56% of what we do in any given day is not conscious thoughts, it's habits, Right? We give ourselves far too much credit that we're in control of what we do each day. Most of it is habits. So the very best way to turn a new behavior into a long-term habit is to stick it on to an existing habit that you're doing without thinking. Like what? For example, I make coffee, decaf at the moment, but I make coffee every morning, right? And I weigh it out and I put a timer on for four minutes while it brews. Right. In those four minutes, I do a bodyweight strength workout every morning. 
For three years, I have never missed my strength workouts on any given day because I never miss my morning drink. That's great. So while you're waiting for your coffee, and you know it's like delayed gratification. You've so delayed gratification, the and then you get a reward, and that's another key <laughs> yeah, part of behavior okay. change. But for, for other people, it might, I say to people, the best place to work out is your kitchen because you're in there one or two times or three yeah. times a day. Waiting for something. <laughs> waiting for something. It could be when you come home yeah. from work, or it yeah. could be first thing in the morning. But... If you try and fit in this new behavior at some point in the day when you have time, mm. often it doesn't happen. Toothbrushing is a great example. Right. Most people brush their teeth in the morning and in the evening. Two minutes in the morning, two minutes in the evening. They don't need to be reminded. They don't need to be told to do it. It's a habit because it's the same thing at the same time every day for a long period of time. It's now automatic. And I know, because I've done this with patients for nearly 20 years now, when you start with five-minute health snacks, whether it's for your body, whether it's for your mental health, yeah. whether it's for your emotional health, which is a huge part of this book and, and connections to people around us, you can do these things and very quickly they add up yeah. and they start to lead to bigger and bigger changes. It's what I call the ripple effect. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. I do my pelvic floor when I brush my teeth. There you go. That's, That's a prime of... example, right? <laughs> but if you had to find time in your day... Yeah, I'd, I'd forget. I mean, exactly. Yeah. And that people... I promise people listening to this, if they just apply whatever they want to change in their life, if they try and apply those two tips, mm. they're going to make it much more likely that those new tips are going to work for the next few days, but also for the next few months and the yeah. next few years. What I love about the new book is that your focus on mental health. And can you give us some practical examples of how we could get our little snacks in there to improve. Yeah, help. so the first part of the book is all about our mind. And I'm making the case that all of us, whether we suffer from mental health problems or not, should be giving our minds five minutes of devoted attention each day. And there's a whole number of options. So there, there are five minute breathing exercises. There are five minutes, um, five minutes of nature. Very, very powerful yes. for your mental health, right? What's really interesting about nature the science on nature is incredible. You know, what it does for your mental well-being and your physical well-being. Being out in nature literally lowers levels of the stress hormone cortisol, which is just remarkable. So we're hardwired to be in nature. So five minutes of nature could be people have their morning cup of tea or coffee out in the garden. Mm. If it's cold, put your fleece on. Yeah. And have it out in the garden. You're exposing yourself to nature. That helps with your mental health. Actually, I wanted to ask you, because I listened to one of your podcasts recently, and I go running in the morning. If I'm in London, I'll go running around the park. And you mentioned a piece of research, which I hadn't heard before, which was about the shapes that occur in yeah. nature, only in nature, so you don't find them in the gym, um, do something to the brain, and there was a word for it. I yeah, yeah. Oh, I, my, I, I, I remember when was. I was reading it, it was so exciting. Yeah. These things called fractals. Fractals, that was it. So right. Tell us about that. So fractals are these geometric shapes that you only get in nature. You get them in trees, rivers, coastlines, leaves. Right? You don't get them in man-made objects. What's really interesting is when a human eye looks at a fractal, it does something, it changes you physiologically, your your hormones start to change. The, the stress hormone cortisol starts to go down. It's absolutely incredible. We are literally hardwired to be in nature as humans. To be outside. Now, I'll tell you this. What's even more fascinating is there was another study which looked at what happens if you're not in nature, you just look at a picture of nature. Yeah. You still get a reduction. Do you really? I don't think it's to the same degree, <laughs> but you still get a reduction. And, I, you know, I'm sure this is why Microsoft and Apple have pictures of nature as their screensavers, right? Because they probably know this somewhere. I love that. So nature, you know, and I'll tell you, I had a, um, a patient recently who I talk about in the, in the book. Uh, I think he was about 27, like an IT worker. He lived in a, you know, in a flat, in an urban setting, 
working hard all day, he was struggling to concentrate, struggling to sleep. He came to see me wanting sleeping pills. And we tried all kinds of things with him. Uh, sorry, not sleeping pills, because I'm not a huge fan of them mm. for most cases. And there were so many things in his lifestyle that I thought we could help change. But he was resistant to a lot of them. And then I kept trying new ideas. And I mentioned nature. He's like, nature, nature's for old people, isn't it? <laughs> like, So it just didn't land with him. And then I thought... I, I tried to persuade him to get, not to be on his phone first thing in the morning. I right. couldn't get anywhere. And then I thought, okay, how can I personalize it for him? He loved listening to music on Spotify. So I said, okay, well, na- on Spotify, there is a, a Sounds of Nature uh, soundtrack mm. that you can download. So my prescription to him was when he wakes up every morning, you have to go out in nature, put your headphones in, and listen to the Sounds of Nature for five minutes. Well, like bird song and exactly rivers, rivers oceans crashing yeah. fantastic he started doing that for five minutes every morning within days his energy and concentration went up and a week later he phoned me up and said I'm, I'm sleeping really really that well it's just amazing and it started and what's interesting it's this ripple effect it wasn't just that by him starting to connect oh my god when I listen to the waves for five minutes I feel calmer I feel more relaxed mm. he then started to go outside at lunch times and walk <laughs> Right, so these small changes ripple into other in, in other aspects of your life very, very so quickly. So positive, isn't it? Because we can all make the we can all get five minutes. We can. I mean, we're all super busy and super stressed, but five minutes. I don't, what what I ask people, like, if you want to start with just five minutes, say that is fine. Yeah. Ultimately, what I want people to do, and I really want this to take off um, as an idea. Yes, with the public, but also with schools and mm. companies. Five minutes a day on your mental health. Five minutes a day on your physical health, five minutes a day on your emotional health, right? And this is what the framework is in my book, because then I think you get rounded, holistic health. I don't believe you can make long-term change in your health by just focusing on one area. All areas of health are linked. And I think, you know, as a parent myself and seeing all the problems with mental health problems in kids Mm -hmm. and teenagers, the biggest obstacle for people in schools, I'll say, we don't have time, we don't have money. Well, I've addressed both of those things with the new book. Everything takes five minutes, yes. right? And Most pretty, things are free. <laughs> pretty much everything, 99% yeah. of the recommendations are free of charge. Yeah. So they're available to everyone. So I've really got high hopes that, I, and I've done a few talks this week in London, and a lot of teachers are saying we can really see how mm. this could help our, our kids. And so that's my sort of big plan for some point this year, see if I can help get this as an idea into yeah. schools. How old are your kids now? My kids are nine and seven. And what does their life look like now? I mean, have you made these changes in their life? Yeah, look, you know, there's a whole backstory with me and my son. You know, my son was very unwell when he was six months old. He nearly died um, from a preventable vitamin deficiency, which is ultimately the the trigger that led me down the route that I'm Mm. I'm down today. You know, Mm -hmm. we often need a big life-changing moment. Sure. Um, So since that happened, all the changes I talk about are things that we've implemented with our family. So we take health very seriously. I say one thing I've learned as a parent more than anything in nine and a half years now being a dad, that kids don't really do what you tell them to do. They do what they see you do. Yeah. And a lot of parents ask me, what can we do with the kids? You know, I'm really worried about this and that. Let's say technology, for example. A A lot of parents are worried with how much their kids are on technology. And I say, okay, I do think that's a valid concern. How much are you on technology? And ultimately, that's yeah. a, it's, a, it's an uncomfortable truth for many of us as parents that if they're seeing us all the time on our phones at the dinner table or whatever, mm. actually they're going to grow up thinking that that's 
normal behavior and that's yeah. what they're going to be doing so i think as parents we need to look at our own behavior a little bit and i know it's tricky i'm not mm. i'm not sort of you know trying to get on a high horse or anything i know it's tough yeah right but i think that's an important thing to think about now in terms of what do we do with the kids well one of my favorite things we do with the kids now we're very you know proactive with our diet you know we eat you know minimally processed food pretty much all the time mm. you know um we try our best to, we prioritize that as a family. We do not bring junk food into the house, right? Again, the reason we don't bring junk food into the house doesn't mean we'll never have sweet treats, but we never bring it into the house because if it's in the house, it will get eaten, right? That's a great rule. So you just, if you want it, you go outside for it. If you want it, you go outside for it. And I, I have a rule, I go outside for it and I do it in company. Right. So like drinking, <laughs> don't drink alone. Yeah, well, because often, yeah. here's the truth about yeah. booze and sugar for many of us, we use it to numb a feeling we don't oh like. Gosh, yeah. We use it to numb loneliness often, yeah. right? So we sugar makes us feel good, or alcohol makes us feel good. So that's why I will have a sweet treat in company because I feel that I'm putting up a few little rules there which help me not overconsume it. Love that idea, not sitting on the sofa on your own with a yeah. bottle of Chardonnay and a box of... Exactly, because there's no point your doctor or... <laughs> your health guru telling you to to cut it out because ultimately that is serving a role yeah. in your life. Because you know life. you can have it. Yeah. You just got to have it with somebody else. Exactly. <laughs> but the, 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 my favourite thing I do with the kids is, is a gratitude game that we play every dinner time. Mm. And it's really good for physical, mental, emotional health. It's really good at connecting us as a family. And we've been playing it for about three years now, I think. So we all have to go around the dinner table and answer three questions. What have I done today to make somebody else happy? What has somebody else done today to make me happy? And what have I learned today? And I tell you, I started yeah. off doing this for the kids, but I've got to say my wife and I find it incredibly beneficial for us as well. And what we're doing, I hope what I'm doing is training the kids from a young age to start looking at the positives yes. that happen every day. Because we know humans have got something called a negativity bias. That is what has kept us alive for 2 million years. We're hardwired to look at the negatives. Now, that worked well for us when we lived in unsafe environments. Mm. Now, when most of us, or many of us, I should say, are living generally pretty safe lives, yeah. it's working against now. It's, it's contributing to depression and anxiety. So gratitude, a daily practice of gratitude has been shown to have profound impacts on our well-being, And it's something we do together as a family. So what has somebody done for me that makes me happy? What have I done for somebody else? To make them happy. To make them happy. And what have I learned? Yeah. Brilliant. And I tell you what, for, for any parents who listen, who have tried asking their kids after school, what did you get up to today? And I met sure. by a blank face. Yes, yeah. Right? I, I say to my kids, what did you do? Oh, stuff. Stuff. Okay. Nothing. Stuff. Nothing. Exactly. Yeah. What did you I do? tell you Nothing. what, this game, you will find out more about your kids <laughs> yeah. than you, you realize. In my daughter, when she was six, she said to me one day, she said, oh, daddy, you know what someone done for me? Well, you know what? I went out for lunch place day and Annabelle opened the door for me and kept it open for me. That was really nice. It's such a sweet Tiny little thing, thing. Yeah. but I'm, I look, I'm a young parent, right? I'm, as in, I've only been a parent for nine years, right? I'm doing the best I can, as all parents are. Yeah, sure. I am hoping that by ingraining this habit in them from a young age, it's going to have impact when they get older. And the funny thing is, is that my kids have both introduced two new questions to that game. So it now actually has five questions. Mm. So I can't remember which one introduced which one, but one of the questions now is, also, when I did something good for someone else, how did I feel? Oh, great. I think my daughter yeah. came up with that one. Yeah. And my son came up with, uh, what have I done today to make myself happy? 
Right. And so we've added those in. And and I've been talking about this game in public for a couple of years. And so many families contact me on Instagram, sending mm. messages saying, oh, my God, this is really changing things. Yeah. Or my husband was a bit resistant at first, but now he's the instigator of playing every day. Fantastic. It's a lovely thing. And again, if we talk about habit research yes. right, that I spoke about before, yeah. We do it at the dinner table every day. I was just about to say, you're doing it while you're sitting, having so that meal. So we don't have to find time in our busy lives to bring it yeah. in. It's yeah. now a part of our evening. And when we have guests, they all do know. they have to do it too? They have to do it too. Like, it's not compulsory, right? But they <laughs> no, like it. to do it. We start off. So if you ever come around and you have yeah. an open invitation to come around yeah, for dinner, thank you. we will play the gratitude <laughs> game together. Oh, I love it. Now, I'd like to finish up by saying, what does the average day, I know there is no such thing as the average day, but a day in the life of Dr. Chatterjee, talk us through briefly some of the key habits at the key times of day that you would always do without fail. We know that you make your morning coffee and you do your interval training. Yeah. So I'll tell you what I do on a daily basis. And it really is this feel better and fire plan because that's yeah. what I use with my patients. It's also what I use with myself to keep myself well because mm. I'm incredibly busy like everyone else. Mm. I will wake up I will not go on my phone first thing, right. okay? Most of the time, yeah. right? Most of the time, I'm not The perfect. key thing I, I found is to have an alarm clock and not use your phone exactly. as, as an alarm. Exactly, charge your phone outside your room sure. and buy an alarm clock, yeah. you know, absolutely. I think if people, if that's all they do, that yes. is transformative for their <laughs> yeah. health, right? Yeah. So I will always start off the day with five minutes for my mind. At the moment, it's five minutes of breathing. So I work on my breathing for five minutes and there's a couple of exercises that I alternate between. Mm -hmm. That really helps me. And it, it not only does it help me switch off my mind, it helps me value myself. And this is a really key part of behavior change. Um, I don't mean to go off track, I'll come back to mm -hmm. the original question, but when you prioritize these little micro moments in your day, what you're showing yourself is that you're worth it. Actually, I am worth spending five minutes a day on my mental health and my physical health and my emotional health. Because otherwise, the other way to look at it is, we all brush our teeth every day, right? So that means we're prioritizing our dental health. So are we saying, therefore, if we don't do things for our physical, mental, and emotional health, are we then saying our dental health is more important than our mental health? Mm -hmm. Maybe, I can't answer that for people, but that's ultimately what our actions are saying, because yeah. we are spending that time. So for me, I do five minutes of breathing. I then do my five minute body snack, which is about movement straight away after that. I'll then do, at the moment, I'm doing five minutes of mobility. So I've got slightly uh, tight hips. So I do a lot of mobility work on my feet, ankles, my hips, mm. and squatting for about five minutes or so. That's how pretty much every day of mine starts, whether I'm at home. This week I'm in London, so I'm staying in a hotel all week. Yeah, I get do it, it there. I do it there as well. Yeah. Now, the final step, which is all about heart and emotional connection, when I'm at home, I do what's called a tea ritual. So when my kids are in bed, my wife and I will make a pot of mint tea in a nice teapot in the kitchen, we'll clear up the kitchen, and for five minutes, we have to sit there with no devices and ask each other about each other's day. So we catch up. Now, it sounds ridiculous, right? But this has transformed our relationship yeah. in terms of how close and connected we feel. I use this with my patients. One patient came back and said, I think this ritual has saved my marriage. Because we're so busy these days, even when we're, we're with the people we love, yeah. we're distracted, right? So those are the three things that I have in my day regularly. Now, um, when I'm on the road, it can be a bit different. Some general principles I apply, which aren't daily habits are, I, I do not have any notifications on my phone. Yeah, I turned them off about three years ago. I yeah, would never I, go I, back. I, I did the same. It's, it's transforming, isn't it? Yeah, and if people have never tried it and they feel a bit scared about that, I would say, 
Try it for one week mm-hmm. and see how you feel. Yeah. Suddenly you're in control of your yeah. phone again. You can check it when you want to rather than so that, somebody interfering. All exactly. The time. And that's a one time thing you do. Yeah, yeah. And then you're done. You don't have to keep thinking about mm-hmm. it. Uh, I eat every day. 95% of the time I eat all of my food within a 12 hour eating window. Mm-hmm. I try my best to follow that even when I'm on the road. Yeah. It keeps me feeling good. It really helps me. Um, so those 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 things that I very much do. Uh, I'll tell you one thing, Liz, I did about two and a half months ago that has been life-changing as well. And again, it's a one-time thing you do. I took the email app off my smartphone. <gasps> I'm not sure I could cope with that. No, no I thought that for a while. I was in it for frenzy <laughs> one day. Really drastic. And I was in a cab and I thought, right, I'm going to do it. I just wanted to press delete. <sighs> and for the first few days, it was quite, you know, every time you put your phone, you're used to looking at your email. Sure. But I'll tell you what, I've not had it on, I think it's over three months now. It is great because, do you know when I look at email? Like I'm on the road today in a, in a car, so I can't look at my email. No. Otherwise, at the end of this interview, I'd probably look at my phone, yeah. oh, look at my see, email. See a few emails. But now mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? When I'm in my room later, I'll put, and you're ready. And I'll put my laptop open mm-hmm. and I'll look at my email. I've got to say, for me personally, that has mm-hmm. really made a difference. I feel like I've got a lot more cognitive energy in the day because mm-hmm. I'm not constantly going back to my email inbox. Yeah. So anyway, just a bit of a flavor of how I try and live my life. But I'm not perfect. I'm just like everyone else trying to do the best that I can. Well, it's brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing so much. Lots and lots of great tips. And I will obviously be putting all the links and everything in the show notes. But it's really great to have you here, Rangan. Well, Liz, I think you're doing great work. And thank you so much for having me on your show. Really, really appreciate it. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. Come back soon. I will do. Thank you. And that is it for today's episode. As always, you will find all the links and the resources that we mentioned on today's show over on the website, which is lizarwellbeing.com. And there you can sign up for the free weekly newsletter, which is jam-packed with so many simple and actionable ways to improve our well-being. Huge thanks to all of you who've left us such lovely reviews thank you. It really does help others to find the show and we are so grateful. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not take a quick screenshot on your phone and send it to a friend or you could pop it onto social media and tag me. And if you'd like to leave a review, I will happily read these out on my Friday Fives. So until the next time, go well. Bye-bye. The Liz Earle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Liz Earle, with production by Amaryllis Earle and Harry Trevithick at Heart Dialogue, with thanks to my producer, Ellie Smith, and guest booker, Millie de la Morinière. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.